Live from Beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics. Featured occasional injections of room and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Catherine Freeman of World Relief in Texas, Andrew Polk, talk show host for KTSM in El Paso, Texas, and Judge Teo Torina, who is a judge in Webb County, Texas. I'm Bruce Dumas. Thank you for joining us this evening. Our phone lines open at 1-800-723-8029. We're coming to you uh, from the studios of WIND Radio in Chicago. And again, uh, what we are going to be uh, doing tonight is continuing our conversation. It's been a very good uh, I would say somewhat of a complicated conversation as we've been explaining uh, uh, the difference, the different treatment of uh, immigrants that are coming to this country uh, from those seeking asylum, uh, all the problems at the Texas border, primarily in Del Rio, Texas, uh, the, specifically in Del Rio, the uh, the horrible video of people amassed under the, the viaduct, the bridge there, uh, that has been cleaned up by the Department of Homeland Security. But again, this past week, Week, there was continued controversy as to whether or not the U.S. Border Patrol had been too aggressive in trying to stop uh, the crime that was happening right before their very eyes. The crime being, of course, sneaking into the United States illegally. That is a crime. And again, uh, that's been part of the debate. But again, it brings into question the bigger, broader question of uh, with all of these people attempting to get into the United States. And when I saw all these people, I mean, it's those from Haiti, it's those from uh, Afghanistan, and it's those from Mexico. Mexico and elsewhere in Central America. Uh, we are very pleased to welcome this evening uh, Catherine Freeman. Uh, she is the Texas Advocacy Mobilizer for World Relief, which is one of the major uh, NGOs in the in basically in the world that tries to deal with people uh, who are in, uh, in trouble. And uh, Catherine, thank you very much for joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway. Catherine, can you hear us okay? Catherine is not hear me. I can hear. I can now. I can hear you. <laughs> good, good, good to know that I can hear you, and hopefully you can hear me well. Uh, here's here's my question. Yes, sir. Because we're dealing with such a huge, broad subject, uh, we're going to be very, very remedial in, in 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 going through this process so that everybody can clearly understand it. Uh, first of all, let's focus on the on the Haitians because uh, uh, they have obviously fled Haiti. According to the published reports, some of them or many of them fled Haiti a long time ago and went to uh, South America. They went to primarily, I guess, Chile. And then they began their trek north uh, to the U.S.-Mexican border. Now, uh, they are, are they seeking asylum? Are they running away? I mean, how do, we, how do we treat them? Is there a label that we put on them? And then how do they get treated by the U.S. government? Yes. So most of them, as you stated, initially left Haiti in 2010 after the 2010 earthquake. Uh -huh. um, they settled in um, Latin American countries like Chile. Um, and I think they are now making their way or last week made their way um, to the border, the United States-Mexico border, um, because they were facing ra racism or harsh economic circumstances in their first country of, of where they stopped when right. they left in 2010. Um, and I think that most of them 
were coming to seek asylum, seeking asylum in the United States is illegal, uh, is legal. Um, and the difference, the challenges with asylum is you have to be physically present in the United States to seek asylum, okay. as opposed to refugee status, which you can seek in your country of origin. Okay. And so I think part of, of, of a solution to this would be um, rebuilding sort of the refugee resettlement process in these countries of origin so that people can apply for um, refugee status rather than taking this dangerous many, many month long trek um, across many countries to come to the border. And as we saw on the news and these kind of unsanitary, unsafe conditions. In this particular case, obviously the the, the trek from uh, again I'm going to use Chile as an example. It isn't everything, but a large number are from Chile. To go from Chile to the U.S. Mexican border, that doesn't happen in a day or maybe even in a week. So the United States had to know that this large number of people were heading north, and they might have known also that specifically they were going to try to enter at Del Rio, the, uh, the the area at Del Rio, Texas. Is that is there any way to ig- ignore that basic fact or of intelligence? Yeah, I mean, I'm not aware of what the Department of Homeland Security did or did not know. And I okay. think, you know, cle- clearing the camp as quickly as they did is to be commended. Right. Um, I think also to bring it back to the point of I think this speaks to the fact that the system is obviously very broken and the fact that we're having I mean, this month it's been Haitians, but in various points of time over the last few years, it's been El Salvadorians or Hondurans. And there really is um, sort of the process, the more safe and orderly um, process for seeking asylum or seeking refuge in the United States. Um, We don't have the number of immigration judges, um, asylum officers that we need to kind of deal with this process in a more orderly fashion so that people are not congregating under the bridge and we're not having these, seeing these every few months, large groups of people migrating to the border and the border control being in this um, this situation every few months. And so I think there are some things that we can do policy-wise in the United States to improve the situation. And uh, what 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 might they be? And by the way, we should mention you're with World Relief now. And uh, how many years have you been with World Relief? I'm actually one of the newer World Relief staffers. Okay. I've only been with World Relief a few months, but I have worked on immigration right. policy and um, from an NGO sort of faith-based right. perspective with the Baptist, for about Baptist five Church years. Church in Texas, right? With the Baptist Church in Texas. Yes, with the Baptist General okay. Convention of Texas. Okay. So you 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 you've been watching this for a long time. What is the advice that you would give uh, to government if they were listening tonight? Yeah. So one of the solutions that we are really excited about is a bipartisan bill from Senators Cornyn and Cinema, both border um, senators. Mm-hmm. That would it's called the Bipartisan Border Solution Act, and it would dramatically increase the number of asylum officers and immigration judges, so that we could do a more efficient and orderly processing of those seeking asylum. Another thing that we World Relief has called on the Biden administration to do is sort of rebuild. Um, the the refugee resettlement program in these countries of origin so that people can go to the U.S. Embassy and file for refugee, explain um, the situations, the dire situations that are in their countries and go through the refugee process. Because again, um, to 
asylum, you have to be in the United States, but you can apply mm -hmm. to be a refugee and go through the refugee process in your country of origin. But and so you, that, that is the other thing we're calling on the Biden administration to do. If 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 that's the if that's the goal, let's let's say you're living in a horrendous situation, uh, be it in Haiti, Honduras, uh, Guatemala, wherever. You're in a horrible situation, but if you go to the government and you ask for their assistance or you go to a government office to prepare for refugee status and you want to get out of that country, how realistic is it that that country is going to be cooperative in helping you get out of the country? That's the question. We have to pause for a few minutes uh, before we get the answer. But that's the question. When we come back, we're talking with uh, Catherine Freeman, and she is with World Relief talking tonight from Texas. Back shortly. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. 
Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. We're talking with uh, Catherine Freeman. Uh, she joins us from the great state of Texas. Uh, Catherine, before the break, uh, you were suggesting that World Relief would like to see uh, offices in other countries that assist their people who want to come to the United States as refugees. The question I asked is uh, how forthcoming and how willing would those countries be in basically uh, helping some of their people get out of their country? Yeah, so I think the answer to that question is people seek um, who are applying for refugee status would actually go to a U.S. embassy office. But I okay. also think, I think to your point and your greater concern, I think this is why we both have the refugee process and the asylum process so that in countries where it's maybe not safe to be seen publicly going to the U.S. embassy to file for asylum, right. that you would also have the opportunity to get out of the country and then apply for asylum once you are safely in the United States. So I think it's not either or, it's kind of a both and proposition. And I think what World Relief is suggesting is that we need um, reform of our sort of immigration laws in the United States, but I think we also need a more robust and strengthened refugee program in sort of these embassy offices around the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, and when, when, when someone calls your agency, uh, who generally calls you to tell you, uh, World Relief, we have, uh, you know, we have 500 uh, refugees from Guatemala. Uh, and we need to send them your way. Is that the way it happens? I, I, are you almost like an order taker for, for human lives? Um, no, so not exactly. Um, so World Relief since 1970 has roughly resettled about 300,000 refugees. And they do that. We do that in partnership with the U.S. State Department. Right. Um, and also thousands of local churches and communities across the United States here in North Texas and Dallas-Fort Worth, where I'm located, Chicago, where you are, and um, other places around the country. Mm -hmm. So we work in conjunction with the State Department, um, and then we have well, we have staffers in our offices and then thousands, a network of church volunteers that help, so that when we do get that call from the State Department, um, World Relief volunteers or staff people are able to meet refugees um, at the airport, set them up with apartments and okay. housing, help them find um, employment right, and me, put their kids in school. And so me, really kind of a wraparound um, yeah. service for those who have to be resettled in the United States. Let, let me let me let me back up one step because I want to make sure we're not missing an important step here uh, as, as I'm trying to uh, understand myself and share with my audience the, the specifics of how the program works. OK, someone is intercepted at the border. They're intercepted by let by the U.S. Border Patrol. Is it the Border Patrol that then sends that information to the State Department? Are there other agencies involved uh, before the word gets to the State Department? Before the State Department calls you, I'm wondering how much, uh, how much I don't want to say red tape, but how much procedure is involved in that process? Yeah. So um, yeah, that's a really good good question and so um again i think we're talking about two different sets of people so refugees okay. that is um through primarily through the state department right when you're talking about asylum seekers you're right they first are intercepted um if they're intercepted along the border um by border patrol and usually what happens with that is the border patrol processes them through a processing center um there's several along um the border and usually 
they are then um, released uh, to a nonprofit or NGO. World Relief does not, um, we partner with organizations along the border. So one is called ABRA, which is located in El Paso. Mm-hmm. And so once they come through border, um, the border uh, patrol processing, they might be released to ABRA. And so then they are, when they're processed through um, the border patrol, you know, they are given like, information or they're told they they say where they're going like maybe they're meeting they have family here or whatever um and so when they're released to that ngo the ngo helps them get to their final destination but in the meantime while they're being processed they're given information to like here's your hearing your court date or whatever and then then they go through sort of the court process um but again this is this civil is court process. this is when 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 someone who's coming to the united states uh, I'm going to say just without papers. Uh, when they when they arrive in the country without papers, uh, the first thing that our government tries to determine is whether or not they are a refugee, and if they are a refugee, there's one process that they follow. Or if they are seeking asylum, they can only seek asylum if they're physically in the United States. Right? You said that before. So yes. so yes. if they are in the United States and they are seeking asylum, they go through a separate procedure involving separate agencies as well. Yes. And, yes. and well, they don't run and they yes. and they don't run but, if you're but, seeking asylum, they do not run into the State Department. That's for refugees. Yes, sir. That okay. is correct. Okay. All right. So so pick up pick up pick up the ball at that point when 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 you get confirmation that again there's let's say 500 Guatemalans they're waiting for some assistance from your organization. What do you do then? Yeah, so we um let's let's say they are um well yeah, we meet them at the airport, we help them get settled. Um, again, like employment, get their kids in school, whatever benefits or assistance they might be eligible now, when, when for. You say, wait, wait, when you say you, when you when you say you meet them at the airport, if if they have come into the country, let's say at Delray, Texas, or they've come in uh, Laredo, Texas, wherever there's a lot of international bridges where people come in. If they're sneaking in, they generally don't necessarily sneak in where the bridges are, and this is where we see people, you know, crossing, uh, you know, the dam in Del Rio. But when, when you get that call, are, are, are they necessarily near an airport where they're literally flown to where you're going to process them? Yeah, so I think if someone comes in through Del Rio, again, that's, they're seeking usually asylum. And I think World Relief, we meet people at the airport when they're refugees, meaning they've it. gone through the process in their country of origin. Okay. Um, it usually it's two-ish year process those are the people that we're meeting at the airport in terms of the services that we apply uh would provide to an asylum seeker or someone who comes in maybe from del rio or some other point along the border um though we typically those kinds of services we typically uh, help partner them with local churches maybe they need legal assistance for their asylum case their court case gathering documents so that process and the services we offer people that are coming through like del rio would be very different than the refugee um what we offer refugees and i think like this is it's so it's complicated there's so many different ways but with like refugees 
as refugees, they're entitled, you know, the State Department comes alongside of them with with services um, and that kind of thing. And usually for asylum seekers, they don't have access to those so- same sort of things. So what we provide um, and what we can connect them to is a little bit different depending on what their mm-hmm. status is as they're entering the country. Mm-hmm. If, I don't know if that helps clarify. Okay. Well, again, you're 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 helping to clarify, uh, which is exactly what uh, tonight's program is intended to do. And one of the one of the frustrations I have is in this era of of 24 hour cable news. We've got you know three uh, cable news operations at least uh, in the country, probably a lot more, but at least six major ones. Is and they have 24 hours to explain things to people, uh, and it takes time. But they don't use their time to explain. The process, so people are confused when they hear, uh, you know, refugees and they hear asylum seekers, and they think, well, who's coming in legally and who's coming in not legally, and and they they don't take the time to explain that. So I appreciate your joining me for uh, at least uh, the first of a couple of hours this evening to uh, uh, to kind of talk us through that process. Now, in the last obviously uh, month, uh, the big story has been uh, Afghans. And Afghans, uh, once vetted somewhere away from the United States, uh, they get on a plane and they come to the United States. So let's focus now on just the Afghan portion of the refugees that you receive. Uh, How do you deal with them? Yeah, so we are, um, the U.S. is, expecting almost 50,000 individuals um, from Afghanistan um, to be settled in the U.S. in the weeks and months to come. Mm -hmm. So World Relief is one of nine um, agencies that's going to help resettle them. And we're expecting between seven and 10,000 to help um, resettle about that many. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we will, same sort of process, you know, we will meet them um, at the airport when they're flown to to North Texas, um, and then partner with local churches um, to help get them set up for their new life in, in in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And we do that, again, through the support of local churches. We'll help them set up apartments. We've had some generous churches donate funds, um, donate, you know, raise the money for apartment, um, for rent for apartments for the first couple of months until they can get set up to work themselves. And so, yeah, so we'll help them sort of reacclimate or acclimate to life in the United States. Do do the majority of the people that go through that processing center do they remain in the state of Texas? Again, you you've you've worked many years in the state of Texas. Does does the state of Texas uh, have they taken it upon themselves or their generosity or or a large religious community uh, do they take on the responsibility of maybe doing more than their fair share of accepting those who are refugees? Yeah, so Texas is actually one of the top, I want to say top five states in the United States that Uh has, um, in terms of refugee resettlement. And I will say that um, Texas has been able to do that with the support of NGOs and churches. And I will say that, you know, research has shown that um, the data on the whole refugees contribute more than they take um, within like 20 years, sort of the net benefit to the state is several thousands of dollars worth more than what we put out in state resources. When we come back, I I want to talk more about that. We do do have to break. I want to follow up on that when we come back. And also, let's get those other four states listed. Back shortly. 
One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us this evening. And uh, we're talking with uh, uh, Catherine Freeman, and uh, she is with World Relief. She is the Texas... Um, uh, what do we call you? Your advocacy. You're the advocacy yes, mobilizer. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Um, a lot of people who um, have discussed this issue, um, and at the at the very end of our break, you were making the point that many who come to this country as refugees uh, after 20 years, it's a plus 
it definitely is a plus, to their their addition uh, to life in the United States. Obviously, as you know, there's a lot of people who think that those who are refugees to this country or come to this country for other reasons uh, do are, are not fine, upstanding citizens and that they, uh, they commit a great deal of crime. And uh, whenever they do, uh, it usually is a horrible crime and it gets lots of exposure. Uh, but you're, you're, you're painting a rosier picture than, than, than most. So my question to you is, from your, from your Christian uh, background and upbringing, uh, what is your answer to those people who, who view and look at uh, refugees and anyone seeking asylum as uh, people that uh, should be shunned and not allowed into the United States? Yeah, so I would say for me, my Christian faith and just in my reading of the Bible, it's not about, um, you know, I don't come at it from a partisan political standpoint. I think of Deuteronomy 24, where it talks about not depriving um, the widow or the foreigner of justice. Um, And I think that applies to, you know, not depriving them of the opportunity to um, seek asylum or seek refuge in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, I think about Micah 6.8 that talks about doing justice and loving kindness. And I think, you know, what I would say is if our model for me is Christ, I think Christ exhibited a Christ-like hospitality. And certainly this doesn't mean that we should have totally open borders and that there's not a role, an important role for Border Patrol or the Department of Homeland Security of keeping us safe. Obviously, one of the, you know, the sort of as a Christian functions of government is public safety. Um, But I do think that having um, a system of laws in place that provides an opportunity for refugees and asylum seekers and immigrants of all kinds um, to to, um, experience sort of a Christ-like hospitality and welcome, but then I think also to sort of apply to go through the process. And I think that's part of the work that you see that in the different levels of work that World Relief does, you know, Mm -hmm. in being present and welcoming and helping people get settled. But I think also, too, in terms of our advocacy for a more just um, system, a system that is both just and compassionate that is both sort of merciful but then also um legal and orderly so i don't i i would say to someone who has fears um i would say a couple things one maybe get to know an immigrant or refugee in your community there are lots of churches and nonprofits um who are doing incredible work and then i think also to the other thing i would say is it doesn't have to be either or it can be both and but also another criticism is that if if someone and I'll use the term as you know sneaks into the country, uh, they've on day one they've broken a law of the United States. Then if there's adjudication of the case, uh, that may take a couple of years, as I understand it, months or some cases years, before those people are supposed to go back into court again and and plea their case. The, the the general sense in the this is the court of public opinion now the feeling is that many of the people who uh, basically were, were given a, a temporary pass into the United States they never return for their day in court they just stay on the lamb how true is that Catherine well I would 
yeah, I would say for people that are seeking asylum, we know from data that 80% of people who come in and they say they're claiming asylum show up for all of their court dates. Okay. 90, and that goes up to 99% when asylees are provided legal representation. They do show up for their court dates. So that's just, that's the asylum process. And obviously refugees, when they're, they come into the country, they've already gone through the, the legal, the legal process. And I would say for people and I, let me back up. I probably should have said this earlier, but I think statistics and data has shown that immigrants actually commit less crime than native born citizens. Um, I know sometimes mm -hmm. it doesn't feel that way because when immigrants com commit crime, it, it becomes, it's like a national Sorry. sensation. But I, the, you know, um, Department of Justice has shown that immigrants actually across the board commit crime at a lower rate than and citizens and particularly violent sort of um the sort of violent crimes that usually get a ton of attention in the but media do they, do they come um, back for their do they rate. come back for their do they come back for any court mandated uh, uh updates don't the refugees have um, to come back asking? for that it, is, it isn't just the asylum people that have to come back for that is it I mean, if um, if, so if you're if you're, you're, if, you're through... if you're detained and and again your your case is working its way through immigration court, which could take years for it to happen, and there aren't enough immigration judges. Everybody agrees with that. If that takes a long time, uh, again, I, I, I have been under the belief that the people who who there's there's literally tens of thousands of people that never come back for their court date. And so they have successfully uh, infiltrated the United States and they've infiltrated uh, the, the neighbors, uh, the neighborhoods of America. And the, and, the, and the police are never going to get to them because in big city police departments, uh, they're prohibited from asking questions about immigration status anymore. Those days are over. So they have, they have, yeah. gotten, away, um, they have gotten away with it. Well, I would say if they're going through the court process and they are claiming asylum, like I said, the 80 percent of people who are claiming asylum show up for their court date. Okay. Now, if you're talking about people who commit some sort of like crime, like let's say DUI or something like that. Right. Um, then in that case, their crime is is in addition to having crossed the border without proper without proper documents, right. then they would be forced, they would be on bail and they would go through the process like any other citizen. So if they didn't show up for their court date in that sense, the police actually could go after them. Why hasn't this issue been solved? What's your reaction? This is your life's work. Well, why has it not been solved? Yeah. I think I think there's a lack of political will. I think that, you know, there's there has been on on both sides of the aisle sort of an unwillingness to to um, to to make hard decisions and to, I think, take an approach that, as I stated before, I think that is merciful and just. And I think people sort of I think because sometimes um, how this issue gets um, sensationalized in the news media, I think it causes people to retreat further into their partisan corners and and they feel like they're rewarded for either demonizing immigrants or advocating for, you know, totally open borders. And so I would say a big way and one of the things that World Relief is working towards in terms of reform is just informing evangelical Christians, um, trying to give um, nonpartisan sort of facts and data about what's happening. I'm um, mm -hmm. encouraging evangelical Christians through their churches, um, 
or faith-based nonprofits to get involved with immigrant ministries and get to know immigrants and refugees in their communities um, so that we can then be a voice, sort of a nonpartisan faith voice saying, mm -hmm. like, there's a way to do this and a way to provide um, justice, um, but also compassion and mercy for those who are seeking refuge in our, in our country. So you know, that would, my analysis is mm -hmm. that it is, okay. um, yeah, that partisanship has trumped sort of pragmatism in, our, in in this country, certainly uh, on talk radio, there there's there's plenty of mistakes that government make makes. And again, people love to talk about it. It's one of the things, obviously, that makes it news. It obviously makes people get excited, and uh, it it increases ratings and everything else. So that's uh, government is always there to provide another example of how they do something poorly. Uh, on occasion, they do a lot of things very well, and they don't get they don't get the nod for that. Uh, but there are some people that think there's too much duplication of effort. Uh, and again, we went through the through the discussion of who goes to the State Department and who goes to elsewhere uh, earlier in the interview. But is there too much or potentially is there too much uh, uh, duplication or lack of coordination between the NGOs? I mean, they're they're all doing it because whether they're doing it for Jesus Christ or they're doing it for their religion or they're doing it for the good of mankind, they all think they're doing good work. But in many cases, can there be corruption and or uh, confusion uh, with the do-gooders of uh, the non-NGO world? Um, yeah, I won't say, you know, nobody is perfect. And in the same way we could criti criticize, you know, talk about the things that government is, is doing wrong. I, I think you could say there are maybe instances of that. But I would say for the most part, especially um, in the United States, there's only nine resettlement agencies. And I think we coordinate pretty well in terms of um, how we work together and, and who we're resettling. And we try not to duplicate efforts. And I think that you will find um, is that there's more than enough work um, to go around in terms of, you know, just because I think, and, you know, speaking for World Relief, and I'm sure I can say this also, too, for the other resettlement agencies, um, you know, walking with refugees is, um, or, you know, immigrants that are having having difficulties and navigating the legal process. It's not something like a couple of weeks. And so you're, you know, you're invested in these lives over years and years and years. And so I think forming those relationships um yeah, there's more than enough work to go uh, go around. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, so I think that the agencies try to work really hard to, to coordinate, coordinate with each other, coordinate with the State Department in terms of what we're doing. Um, and then I think, you know, um, as far as like immigrants at large, not speaking of, of refugees, I think that you'll find that a lot of immigrants really struggle with knowing who to trust or where they can go for resources. And so there's always an opportunity for churches to step in um, or nonprofits to step in um, to help in, in big and small ways. Catherine, when we come back, we're going to talk about what people can do if they want to help. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? 
Don't worry, we're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves and helping each other with friends, family and community lending their strength and support. Join the voices for recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders, for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, don't tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Catherine Freeman continues with us. She is with World Relief in the state of Texas. Uh, Catherine, I, in a couple of segments ago, you mentioned that uh, Texas was one of the most aggressive states in uh, uh, reaching out uh, with refugees and those seeking asylum. Uh, who are the other four states? Do you know those off the top of your head? Yes. Um, so California So California is number one, and then Washington State, um, and then Texas, and then New York and Michigan. Okay, very good. And uh, we don't hear from Montana or other states that look like they have a lot of space. <laughs> Uh, no, I think maybe they settled the smaller portions of individuals okay. there. Uh, my next question to you is, what can the the person that's listening to the program this evening that, uh, and and I hopefully uh, hopefully we have 
we have clarified some of the procedural issues and not uh, muddied them in our discussion this evening. That wasn't my goal. But my question to you is, if someone wants to help, how can they help? I know they can always write a check, but are there other practical things that they can do? Let's say, let's focus in on, on refugees uh, from Afghanistan. What, what can they do to help those who are seeking a future life in the United States? Yeah, that's a great question. And so um, one of the big things that we're asking for help right now related to advocacy um, is that a lot of the Afghans that are coming to the United States are coming on what we call parolee status. They actually don't have visas and they didn't actually come. They're not, they have not been formally admitted as refugees. Um, and because they have been admitted um, under parolee status, they won't be able to apply for permanent legal status as if they in the same way that refugees could. So one of the things that we're asking for people's help is advocating for these Afghans to not be stuck in a sort of indefinite, perpetual, temporary status. So that requires an act of Congress. So we're asking people to reach out to their Congress people, their senators, and ask them to support legislation that would allow um, Afghan parolees to move into to be able to have the opportunity to apply for permanent legal status um, sort of the being stuck in the perpetual um, limbo as you would mm -hmm. like to be called um, sort of like people from El Salvador and Honduras um, is not great and we don't want our Afghan neighbors to be stuck in that same process we want them to be able to pursue permanent legal status so um, if people one way people can help is advocating for that with their members of Congress and then I think the other way is you know we are in desperate need of volunteers um, of housing we are having um, I'll speak in Fort Worth and finding um, because we're receiving so many Afghan refugees there are some concerns or I, not refugees, Afghan parolees, we're concerned that we might not have enough housing available, um, donations of household items, gift cards, and as you said, always financial support. Um, and you can go to the World Relief website, which is www.worldrelief.org, to find out how you can help um, support um, Afghan refugees in your community. And... Uh... Because many of them were English interpreters for U.S. military services, is it safe to assume that many of them uh, are coming understand English or can speak English? Or is that is that a, a false uh, assumption on my part? Yeah, I would say they probably have good English skills, but probably still will need um, still language assistance through like ESL courses and and feeling um you know, and I think even for those who come with their families, maybe don't have the same level of familiarity as Eng of, with English as maybe um, their family member that served as an interpreter. So there's still going to be a need for English English services. Um, so yeah, that's another great way to to support um, Afghan re refugees is um, ESL through ESL classes and 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 as a conversation partner and helping them strengthen their English. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of the uh, the geography is is the geography of Texas and Arizona and New Mexico uh, more uh, resemblant of uh, Afghanistan insofar as climate is concerned, or am I mis <laughs> am I misinterpreting again? Yeah, 
I don't know. I would say, I think Afghanistan, I mean, I guess it depends on the region. I do think it gets pretty cold, maybe uh, up in the mountains there. And I would like, say in North Texas and Fort Worth, it is never very cold and it is very humid. Um, right. So I don't know that our geography is a great, uh, um, I think it probably takes some adjustment, adjusting to the humidity here. Uh-huh. And uh, one uh, couple of last questions. Uh, again, you mentioned, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the website where people could go if they want to make a contribution. Is the is the religious issue of, of, of because those that are coming from Afghanistan are mostly uh, Muslim. Uh, do the differences in that religion cause uh, internal problems that may not be similar to other refugees coming to the United States between the Sunnis and the, and the Shias? Um. I don't think so. I mean, I think they are um, sort of join their own sort of when they get here, their own sort of religious communities. But I think for Christians, it's a great opportunity to do interfaith work. And I will say, you know, we've had many, many testimonies from, um, you know, other churches and pastors where through this work, they've had an opportunity to share um, about Jesus Christ and have had people come to faith. Um, so I would say it's a great opportunity for ministry. Um, and I think um, there is not an inherent conflict between um, people who come here as Muslims, as, as those that maybe come from other, other regions. Catherine Freeman, I thank you very much for joining us tonight. Uh, you are the Texas Advocacy Mobilizer for world relief. Uh, and again, thank you very much for trying to clarify uh, a very complicated story that we read about every single day. And it's a story that I don't think is going to go away uh, very quickly. And again, thank you very much for your efforts on uh, those who, uh, who need help. And also we should mention in the next hour of the show, we're going to be joined by Andrew Polk. He's a talk show host for KTSM in El Paso, Texas. He talks about these issues all the time. And we're also going to hear from a Texas uh, judge, Judge uh, Tahoe uh, Tarina, and uh, he is from Webb County, Texas, and he's going to talk about the issues and what 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 is happening because of the influx of those coming from Mexico to the United States uh, illegally. What is the impact on local cities and municipalities? He resides in Laredo, Texas, so we'll talk about what's happening on the streets of Laredo, Texas. Uh, with Judge uh, Tarina uh, when we continue from Beyond the Beltway. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. 1-800-723-8289. One forty-five over ninety-two. One eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty-two over a hundred. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully. 
But we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with our number two of Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much for joining us. We go back to uh, Texas for our second hour of our broadcast this evening. We're joined by Judge uh, Tano Tiarina, who joins us from Webb County, Texas. Uh, which includes uh, Laredo, and also joining us is Andrew Polk, who's a talk show host for KTSM uh, in El Paso. Gentlemen, welcome to our program. Nice to have you with us. Uh, Judge, let me ask you this question, because in the first hour, uh, we learned about sort of the complications of trying to deal with refugees and, and asylum seekers and how we deal with them as far as social services concerned. Uh, as you look at law enforcement, uh, there are local, there are state and federal law enforcement agencies all involved in, in regarding the situation of the Texas-Mexican border. Uh, from your perspective, who's in charge, and have they really taken charge? Well, right now, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I Good. appreciate it. And uh, Andrew, hello to you too as well. Uh, but anyway, I just really, right now, it seems like for sure the federal government is not in charge. And that is the situation that we've been seeing in hand. Our local government, our local law enforcement, our sheriffs and our police departments have been doing everything they can. And of course, the one that's really been doing the most of it all has been uh, DPS, the state, Texas State Troopers. They're mm -hmm. the ones that have been taking the grunt of it all, to be quite honest with you. Mm -hmm. I really, I need to say this, I really feel uh, disappointed to say the least, because I feel that our federal agencies have not gotten the adequate resources that they have desperately needed right now. And uh, to be quite honest with you, I just think they've lost the mission uh, 
in all itself. You know, I've been talking to a lot of them in different branches from CBP to Border Patrol, just depending on on who you speak to. Uh, ICE agents, they have just they're 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 demoralized. Uh, they do not have a mission. Um, they do not. They, they don't even know where to go anymore. It's it's a it's a it's a sad situation going on all around the country. Right much m- much of the criticism of the Biden administration has was has deals with his decision to end the processing in Mexico policy of the Trump administration. And I'm wondering, as you review that policy, which has been now uh, overturned by by President Biden, uh, was the Trump policy of uh, processing in Mexico working, in your opinion? I will say it was. You know, this is no different than what we were receiving in the past. You know, I remember in 2009 and 2014, seems like every time there's a president that comes into office, uh, I I will say that it's like the great migration. You know, everybody just wants to come to the United States. And and look, who can blame them? At the end of the day, we all just want a better life and want a better life for our families. But legally, um, this situation illegally has caused great havoc here in Webb County. You know, in the past, I, I do recall that a lot of them were coming in. They were getting they were getting uh, dropped off at the bus station, and then they would go about about their means. Uh, or a lot of them would be sent back at that certain time. But this situation right now has just gotten out of hand because these people will definitely tell you that they just feel that, you know the words out that President Biden just come on in, welcome, and it's a really really sad situation. Uh, Andrew, a question to you is, and I posed this last week on the program, uh, those, uh, this is specifically about Haitian uh, refugees now, They uh, mm-hmm. many of them came up from Chile. Uh, they didn't do it overnight, so uh, intelligence had to know that these people were on their way. I mean, 20,000, 30,000 people were on their way to Delray, uh, Delray, uh, Del Rio, Texas, and they seemed flat-footed by it. Is has anyone given an answer to any question you've asked about why didn't they see this coming and be prepared for them? Simply put, no. I have not heard any decent answer about was this expected, was this anticipated. And uh, I've spoken with some of the guys who were actually been on the Mexico side of this doing some of the study, seeing those stacks of uh, Chilean ID cards, amongst others, also Brazilian, a lot mm-hmm. of other Central and South American countries, apparently being at least a stop along the way involved with this, as your uh, guest was talking first hour, mm-hmm. about this being a long time coming here. Uh, the most intelligence we're hearing about right now is that actually the cartels were decently aware and kind of said, like, no, we're not even going to charge anything to have you guys pass through this particular area. No smuggling fees as uh, attracting to it. So, But as of U.S. intelligence, I haven't heard anything. Judge, to what extent are the are the uh, the cartels involved, and uh, are they making things worse? Or are they taking advantage of the current situation, as Andrew just suggested? Well, that's that's a that's a winded answer. I'm going to give it to you, but I'm going to give it to you as simple as I can. Okay. Right now, here in Webb County, I will tell you that they're actually helping us. To be quite honest with you, and the reason why I say they're helping us is because in reality, they're going around us. Uh, they're they're taxing more, what they call it, their taxation. They're charging more for every single person. Uh, babies included, it's gonna cost a little bit more. If it's a single unit, if it's a, if it's a family unit, they're charging a little bit extra. So that's why they're going towards their Rio. They're going towards the Valley. We're kind of like right in the middle of those bookends. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it's kind of been helping. But now I will say that they are very, very, look, 
I have friends in Nova Laredo that are that you know everybody knows everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And I will say that this right now the people because I'm not saying that we're not getting them all. We're not getting any. We've been getting them for months, and I'm just saying that they're just charging a little bit extra. We're right. not getting the big, huge, like 18, 20,000 people. Right. But I will tell you, give you an idea. Uh, there's some areas down there in Nuevo Laredo that are charging these poor people right now. Uh, you know, they're paying up to $400 a day just for their cooks per person. Uh, one particular person that I know of has got 200 people a day that's arriving and they're charging them $400. And so my question was kind of funny because I asked, I said, well, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not hearing these numbers correctly. Explain to me the numbers. And they said, look, always remember, they don't count money over there. They weigh money over there. And so it's mm-hmm. a very big difference of the way of thinking over there. So when I say that, the cartels are making a huge amount of money right now. Uh, Joe Biden keeps talking about, you know, all these, these uh, President Biden, I will be I will be as courteous as I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, President Biden is doing everything. You know, he keeps talking about, you know, how these all these people that are getting all these job opportunities, all these job creations. Mm-hmm. The only ones that he's given a humongous job creation to is the cartels. And that's even here legally. Uh, I mean, here, here in the United States, I should say, you know, this whole situation with stash houses. I'm going to tell you right now, these stash houses have gotten out of hand. It has become a sex trade. It's become a drug trade. It's literally becoming their slavery right now. That's what's happening right now. Explain what you explain what you mean by 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 a stash house, a judge. Well, a stash house is. I'm I'm sorry, I didn't. That's okay. Clear my clear myself. But what's happening right now is that you have all these stash houses here in Webb County, where all these uh, rims are coming, refugees, immigrants, and migrants, and they're holding them for let's say a week, two weeks, depending on how long they're going to take. What's happening is that a lot of these people, when they come to the government agencies, they seek asylum, okay? And so they come up to a certain individual, they come up to a border patrol, and they say, hey, we want to seek asylum. Oh, so do you have a sponsor? Then they start kind of doing the process. Oh, do you have a sponsor? Yes. So who who is your sponsor? And I'm going to say, well, I have uh, Miss Kimberly over there in New York City that's going to be my sponsor. So here's her number. Call her up and go ahead and explain to her what I'm going to do. So they call them up. They call up New York, they call up Kimberly and say, hey, listen, um, I have Donald Tigerina here waiting to be uh, that so-called your sponsor. Are you, is that true? And they say, yes. What we're noticing from the, from our Judge, from our lo- judge, ex- here, judge from excuse our- me, I've got, I've got to interrupt because we've got to go to a break. Uh, you've got us to a point in this story that we're hanging, but we want to know the end and we'll come back to you with the uh, end of that question in just a moment. Don't go away. Very well. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, You should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, tell me what to do. Cannonball! I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. 
Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with Beyond the Beltway and uh, Andrew Polk from KTSM. We'll hear from him and his questions in just a few moments. But again, I want to go back to uh, to the judge, uh, Tiarina. And uh, you were explaining... Uh, the story of uh, the smugglers and and how they contact uh, the sponsors in the United States before the break. Elaborate and finish that story, if you will. Absolutely, I will. So what happens is they call Kimberly and say, hey, they got Donald to get in here as a sponsor. Uh, Are you you a sponsor? And she says, absolutely. What the NGOs, non-governmental authority uh, organizations are doing and telling us that, you know what, there's about six, seven, even up to 10 people from different nations that don't even know each other are calling that Kimberly as a sponsor and they accept them. So what they're doing is they're sending them that way. And that's what they're doing. They're sending them that way. We're, we're sending them with our tax dollars, sending them that way. And what's happening is when they get there, they're basically now they're in slavery. You're, I'm your sponsor. They're basically telling them, I'm your sponsor. So you're going to go ahead and pay for your meals. You're going to have this kind of job. This is what you're going to do. And by the way, if you have a kid or male or female, it doesn't matter. That little girl, I need her tonight in my bed. And I'm hearing these stories over and over again. Some of them are even soliciting them as prostitutes. Um, this is a situation that's just disgusting to even think about. A lot of people don't even believe it's happening because we're in the United States of America. But let me tell you, it's happening and it's very unfortunate. And it, it's a continuation of the smuggling process. It starts by making a deal with someone uh, in, in Mexico or S- Central America, Honduras. They start making a deal with them. 
That gets them to the border. It gets them across the border. It buys them a sponsor who then turns them into uh, a life of crime. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly what they do. And then they're wondering, and then they're waiting for their court date or they're waiting. And you tell me how many of those courts are going to, how many, they're going to actually appear in the court. They don't believe in their own government, much less ours. They're just looking for freedom and they're looking for an opportunity, which I understand, but this has just gotten out of hand. You know, even immigration judges, you know, they keep talking about all these immigration judges. We had two immigration judges for the first time here in Webb County, here in Laredo, four years ago. They, the federal government made this big deal because we had them in San Antonio. We had them in, in, in other places. Very few, very few immigration judges. They sent two of them down. Well, we have two of them local that, that are so-called immigration judges, but we don't have any money. They haven't even sent any money. They haven't even heard one one court case because they haven't even funded that that whole situation. This is just a scam. This is this is disgusting what's happening right now. It's really sad and very unfortunate for the United States of America. Andrew, this is very depressing to hear this story. Have you have you heard similar stories from uh, other people on your uh, reporting? I haven't heard those exact details, particularly about the sponsors. That's particularly disturbing. But I've heard very similar situations for years now. I mean, human trafficking is an underserved but serious issue in our area. A lot of people think it doesn't happen here, but we're definitely a conduit for it being right on the edge of the border here. So it's it's an issue that needs to be talked about more. Absolutely. Judge is the, I guess this is a tough question, but I'm going to throw it to you anyway because you sound like a tough guy. Is is part of our inability as a nation to solve or resolve this immigration issue, is it tied so intrinsically to dirty uh, drug money, Mexican cartels, to such a degree that neither party can figure out the money angle that makes everybody a winner, or is it less nefarious than that? How how corrupt is this entire system, and is the American voter ever going to get satisfaction that the immigration issue is going to be resolved if it is so intrinsically tied to to drug traffic and smugglers as you've just articulated i'm not really aware of the situation as far as cartels and immigration is concerned i just think that it's a political hot potato to be quite honest with you and i think for generations and look this situation if we Again, the cartels, I really don't think have anything or much to do with it. I just think for generations now, for for as many presidents as you could think of, this has been a very hot topic. Why? Because now you start getting into the race card. Now you start getting into all these situations that's kind Mm -hmm. of absurd. But in all reality, it is a difficult one. But we need to have it. You know, back in the 80s, we had the Bracero program. And the Bracero Mm -hmm. programs, we had programs where, you know, situations where people that wanted to come and work could come and work legally over here. Right now, we have a similar situation, but it is so much red tape. You have to, you you know, if you get somebody, let's say, from Mexico, um, they're going to come over here for 10 months. They got to be gone for two months. But first, you have to make sure that an American doesn't want it. So now you have to make sure that you have to put it in a paper. You have to put it in so many, I think, two weeks in the paper. Now they have to come and check your house out, make sure that you have all the adequate supplies that they need, which, I mean, 
Let's face it, we do. But a lot of us, I mean, there's just so much red tape nowadays that it's kind of gotten out of hand. But we need immigration is a hot topic. We need to somehow solve it. It's not working. It is, let's face it, insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And it's there's there's no difference right now. It's just unfortunately we're in 2021, and that's the only thing that's changed. You're a Democrat. Do you get do a lot of people uh, pick on you, uh, fellow Democrats pick on you because you're you're telling tales that uh, don't make the Democratic Party or the president look good? Well, you know what's sad is that my grandfather was a hundred percent diehard Democrat, and but I look back nowadays and. My grandfather's Democratic Party is not the same Democratic Party there is today. I'm a proud conservative Democrat. Here in South Texas, pretty much all of us, and I'm not going to say all of us, maybe I'd like to say maybe there's a few left-wing nuts that are going around like most of the United States as all these Democrats are, I'm sorry Mm -hmm. to say. But for us, we're a lot of us are very, very conservative Democrats. And so to answer your question directly, no. Actually, I have been... The, the last couple of times that I've been on, on different, you know, networks and Fox and all this situation, I mean, you have no idea when I'm walking on the street right now, I got, I mean, it just seems like everybody wants to say hi and thank you very much for what you're doing and standing up what's right, which to be quite honest with you, it's been surprising. But look, the red and the blue is also a racist card in itself. It's gotten to the point now, if you're blue, oh, I have nothing to do with you. Oh, if you're red, I want nothing to do with you either. In all reality, we're Americans. There's a white right in the middle. It's called red, white, and blue. We should be standing up for what's right for America. When I took public office, I didn't take it for just the blue. We have a Republicans here in Webb County, too, that I also serve. And this is what I think our president has completely lost focus on, is that it should not just be about the blue. It should not. And he, and let's face it, and, and you know, we could, some people say, well, you could throw back at the Trump. Well, I could say I could throw that back to Obama. I could go back even with 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 uh, George Bush. It it has just gotten so out of hand lately that we are forgetting that we work for everybody, and unfortunately, that's what they've lost. And it's very unfortunate that even the worst part about it is, it seems like the politicians now feel like we have to serve them versus they have to serve us. Andrew, and that is a huge, huge problem that's going on right now. Andrew, one uh, Texas. Uh, politician that's that's jumped in this uh, and, and taken a leadership role uh, is your governor, uh, Greg Abbott. Uh, he is up for re-election. Uh, is, is his election uh, hotly contested, or do you think he's a shoe-in, or has the abortion issue made things more difficult for him from a political standpoint? The abortion issue, I think, is actually largely playing into shoring up him. I think the most fire he's taking is, frankly, from pandemic restrictions of all kinds. Mm-hmm. He tried to toe kind of a middle line, from my perspective, and is getting challenged both from the left and the right right now. Mm-hmm. Most of his challengers saying that anything he did in terms of restrictions was wrong. So most of the stuff is seems pretty clearly is towards shoring up his power base. Now, Greg Abbott is not to be underestimated. I mean, he's got a multi-10 billion million dollar war chest and a lot of support mm-hmm. but he is facing those challenges so particularly when you're talking about that uh, request for a disaster declaration at the border and other things like that even what's going on within the uh, texas special legislation legislative session right now a lot of it can be seen through the lens of shoring up that to ensure that he's not going to have any reasonable challenge to him which we have another actual more local person uh, robert francis beto o'rourke who is being very strongly considered and strongly rumored now to be more actively going to be throwing his hat in the ring there as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, uh, what what happened to the uh, the actor? 
What happened to our actor friend from California? Did he have cold feet? Matthew McConaughey? Um, McConaughey, yeah, I, yeah, McConaughey. Uh, I can't say his name right, but yes, I. There's a lot of he's this kind of dark horse taking a lot of uh, air out of the room whenever the discussion comes up. And as the last opinion polls I saw, he would beat him. Alberto was still just a little bit behind there. So, uh, your guess is as good as mine. If you got any better crystal ball information, I'd love to hear it. Judge, what do you think of that uh, race? Do you want to weigh in on a on a Democratic primary down there? As far as, uh, well, I mean, Better obviously, I think it's still here in Webb County, we're predominantly dom- Democrat. Again, but we're yeah. conservative. Unfortunately, yeah. people don't see that. and They're still a little bit blinded by yeah. more. Usually, what I try to explain to people is you're actually, it's very difficult to talk about Democrats and Republicans, at least down mm-hmm. here. Right. It's conservative and liberals, okay? Mm-hmm. So Beto's a little bit more liberal to us, or at least to me, uh, than I would like to see to be quite honest with you. And so, and that's, and that's been pretty much the primary, I mean, Governor Abbott, I feel has done a, a good job. I'm not gonna say he's done a perfect job by no means at all. Like, you know, I'm very sure that not everybody feels the same way about me. I make, we all make mistakes. But one of the things that I do fault uh, Governor Abbott a little bit about was, it was very, very, very difficult during the pandemic. Um, it seemed like he would uh, make us do the dirty work down here and then all of a sudden he would wear the cape and he would want to go ahead and, and, and take all those restrictions off. And I say cape and, all, and, and, and I'm not trying to be smart, but, right. you know, I, I just it was very difficult during that time mm-hmm. uh, because it was it was difficult. And that's why I say I like what he does. I like his policies. I love what he did with abortion. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I got two adopted children. How can I not be for, you know, how? I'm definitely pro-life. I've got to inter- I've got to interrupt ag- I've got to interrupt again. We'll be back. We've got a break. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. 1-800-723-8289. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, don't tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay? 
isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back, and we're going to take a moment let each of our guests briefly introduce themselves. Uh, let's begin with Andrew Polk. Olka, we know you're a talk show host in the afternoon on KTSM, but tell us a little bit more about your background. Yeah, been uh, hosting this show on uh, KTSM in one form or another for uh, half a decade now, and uh, was a local TV reporter for that, worked in newspaper before that, born and raised, uh, not born, but raised here in El Paso. Got here as soon as I can, one of those kind of situations mm -hmm. in El Paso, and um, yeah, just really focused on the issues that are affecting us here, of which this border issues have been certainly a lot of them. Absolutely. Uh, let's uh, also bring in uh, Judge uh, Tano uh, Tahira. Tahira. T hearing, what? hearing. How badly? How, ba how badly? I messed your name up. Tarina, right? My name's Donald. Tarina. Yeah, no, you're good. You did it fine. Tarina. Yes, the absolutely. J is silent, you like you, it always is. Tell us a little bit about your background, because as a judge, uh, usually when people think of judges, they are sitting in a courtroom. But uh, being a judge in Webb County means. Uh, uh, it, it means a little more than that, does it not? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Donald Tigarina, Webb County Judge. I'm going into, uh, actually, I'm running for my third term. I'm very proud to say that. And uh, I'm 47 years old right now. I have a beautiful wife of 27, going on 28 years. I have four beautiful children, two biological, two adopted children. Um, they're my life, my life. And I will say, once upon a time, I was a, a pro ball player, a rancher, and, and here we are, a judge. I never thought I was going to be saying that, but here I am as a judge. And uh, yeah, it's uh, here in the border. It's it's unique. It's different, and uh, I just I love it. What was the question? I'm sorry. What Where are you? What? Yes. No, but that's good to know. Where were you, a ball player? I was with the Milwaukee Brewers. I played with the Milwaukee Brewers back in the day in their minor league system. Yes, in the minor league system. Well, they they look like they're uh, they may be the the, the prize of the of the. Uh, National League this year, so uh, I I will. I'll say. Did you ever get? Like did, you, did you ever get to a baseball card, or you didn't make the baseball cards yet? I, I did. I did. I, I got some. I got some baseball cards in them. Really, that was fun and, and okay. all that good stuff. And you know what's amazing is that uh, it made me who I am today. Mm -hmm. Baseball had taught me a lot. It taught me how to win and lose. More importantly, how to lose. I've learned more from my losses than I did from my wins. Yep. You know and. 
Uh, unfortunately, I got fired uh, after my sixth or my fifth season, and then I played another two years of independent ball. But, you know, you wonder back in the day, I think back nowadays, and God has everything for a reason. I am a, mm-hmm. I'm a Christian man. Um, I love my Lord and Savior, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus Christ, and this is who I am today. And I'll be honest with you, I just call it how it is. You know, uh, I, I, I am, I do run as a Democrat. I'm proud conservative Democrat. I will tell you that here in here in South Texas, here in, here in Webb County. But this is something that we do. Uh, this is something who I am, and I just call it how it is. Unfortunately, I really don't tinker with party lines. I don't. Uh, I just say it the way it is, and, and, and I think people appreciate that. I think we've lost that. I think uh, the the politicians have lost that. I want to say that. I'm, so I, I'm proud to say that uh, I do take some hits, and but the hits mm-hmm. are. Hey, if you like it, at least respect me for for me being me, not trying to blend in with you. Judge, you're you're on the air this evening because the issue that is now a synonymous with Texas is, is dominating has been dominating the national news and and obviously Texas and the issue of illegal immigration has been with us for many many years uh, and obviously uh, uh, the video a couple of weeks ago that Fox put up of the uh, uh, thousands literally uh, twenty thousand people trying to get across uh, you know the border at uh, Del Rio. Uh, got everybody's attention uh, in a significant way. Uh, and then there was the issue of the Border Patrol and how they were trying to control the crowd down there, which made a, a lot of New York liberals uh, cringe when they thought they were seeing uh, abusive activity on the part of the Border Patrol. But my question to you is, it becomes a big, big national story. When it becomes a really big national story, do the people who live in Webb County and uh, also, uh, you know, up in KTSM land, uh, uh, Andrew, do they get riled up or do they just say, oh, ho-hum, here we go. The national media is, is focusing their spotlight on us right now and they're going to, they're going to, the heat lamp's going to be on for a few weeks and then they're going to be on to their next story and we'll just, uh, life will continue down here uh, uninterrupted. A judge? I've been on quite a bit of interviews this month. I think this is my second or third one with Fox to give you an idea. This latest one, because of this whole situation of migrants, um, all of them were on because of the migrants. But this yeah. last one, it seems to have got a lot more attention. And people here in Webb County, I do will tell you that they were like, uh, it was kind of funny because it took a horse with reins. And you have a Border Patrol about the reins, you know, making national TV. And that's the only reason why anybody picked it up. Let's right. face it. Right. That was the only reason why anybody picked it up, right. because we've been dealing with this for months and months and months. Right. You know, since Biden has been since since President Biden has been president of the United States there, he has allowed 600,000 people to stay here. Where are they? Where, where are the taxes? Who, who's paying for them? Those, those those are the things that we need to be looking at here in Webb County. I will tell you that um, it's not that to us. It's it's it's. It's a daily situation that's occurring. What part that really hurts us and it gets us very frustrated and upset is that we have for legals, people that live here legally cannot go back and forth on the border through the through 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 the uh, through our borders. Yeah. But yet illegally, you have all the rights in the world, you know, and that's the part that's really disheartening because we are the number one inland port in the United States. Number one. 62% of our commerce comes to here. Almost $3.4 billion of commerce comes to Laredo, Texas because of strategically where we're, where we're at. But you know what? We have not had the borders open. So you have families that have not seen each other in since probably a year now, but yet 
illegally, you could do whatever you want and get away with whatever you want. That's what WebCan is upset about because we are hurting financially. This is taking a burden financially. Mm-hmm. Well, financial explain, explain more to the audience, because, again, uh, there's an international bridge in, in Laredo, and there are several. How many international bridges are there in the state of Texas? You have a lot of them, oh, right? Oh, in the state of Texas. Oh, yeah, there's quite a bit of them. And I know you, El Paso's know, you know got what the number is? you got a lot, you got a lot of them, right? Um, we have four of them. Pretty much all of them go back and forth commercial-wise, but uh, we have one solid one, which is uh, yeah, but almost there's quite a bit of them all around Texas. But in in Laredo, the one that you that you're the closest associated with, uh, how many people go back and forth across that bridge every day because they work in the United States and live in Mexico or vice versa? I wouldn't be able to tell you the exact numbers, but I could tell you it's in the thousands. Just to okay. give you an idea, just trucks alone that come here in Webb County, trucks alone on a daily basis, fourteen to six fifteen thousand trucks alone gives you an idea. And they all have to be inspected? Pretty much, yes, sir. They all have to be inspected. Um, and so everything you know, has to be on the uppity up, of course, if you're crossing back and forth. Uh-huh. But uh, it gets a little crazy. I, I'll tell you right now, it gets a little crazy. Sometimes these lines or a software you know, breaks down for whatever reason on a bridge. By the time you know it, you have miles and miles <laughs> of 18-wheelers backed up. It gets a little, uh-huh. it gets a little crazy. It's a, it's a sight to see, to be honest with you. And uh, your counterpart uh, from from uh, from a governmental basis uh, on the other side of the Mexican border, um, is there much communication at all between that local official and yourself? Is there any reason there why is, you guys there is talk? Quite a bit of, uh, yes, sir. There is quite a bit of communication. Okay. Uh, we're always working together. Uh, we speak a lot to the mayor and to the uh, the governor. Usually, is the one that kind of deals with a lot of the stuff that happens in Nuevo Laredo. It's set up a little bit different. Tamaulipas governor. Mm-hmm. Um, we do meet. We do meet with them quite regularly and talk about situations because sometimes they also got their hand, their tied, their hands be tied behind their back as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it does get a little difficult for both of us. I do wish that I could see a little bit more. You know, I think what uh, you know the last president, President Trump, did you know, holding them a little bit more accountable on all these situations, I think was pretty good, spot on. I think we need a little bit more of that as well here right now. Okay. Uh, what are the other significant things that you notice as the story has evolved, Andrew? From your perspective uh, as, a, as a reporter in El Paso, and again, El Paso and Laredo aren't real close. I mean, nothing in, uh, in Texas is real close, but uh, what, what's happening in El Paso? One of the interesting things about this evolving situation is is that it's been a different focus because we've been having an uncharacteristic amount of arrivals in our sector. It never was kind of at zero, kind of like the judge is talking about there, but we usually weren't a source of it. We weren't the focus of it like it has been over these past few years. And one of those important changes that I don't think people have totally realized is that even with the building of a wall in different sections, El Paso has had one for decades in some form or another as just a a crime issue even before Mm -hmm. it was an immigration issue but that as well is that people will then walk up to the fence and present themselves to authorities and say i want to claim asylum so even if there have been physical barriers the focus on here has still created incredible stresses on the federal law enforcement ice cbp 
primarily Border Patrol itself there because if they can't get through the ports of entry, then they're going to be going just to other points. And one particular point I think people don't realize is that even when there are the physical barriers, those are built on the U.S. side of things. So people walking up to them, they are not in some intermediate zone. They are literally on U.S. soil standing there, mm-hmm. and therefore processes apply. One other thing that has happened is that actually that guy who took that photograph that has gone right. very viral was speaking with some local media of the split reins. We have a lot of conversations right. about the split reins and the particularities of how uh, horse-mounted uh, federal officers work around here. And I think a lot of people are kind of frustrated about that, that that has become the tail wagging the dog, and we're ignoring a larger issue of the exhaustion, the amount of resources being taken, because even if the Title 42, the main program that is out there now, it is what the administration has come down to in getting rid of the MPP. So to one of your earlier questions about when media comes in talking about these situations is, yeah. sure, they come in, they talk about it for a while, and they go away, but these frustrations exist yeah. throughout. Well, also, uh, you know, liberals in New York don't know much uh, about uh, handling horses. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly with one more segment from Texas. song again for the hundredth time today here's that song again it's gonna be stuck in your head all day here's that song again it will make you cray cray you love your kids enough to watch that tv show a bajillion times love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat for their age and size show them you love them keep them safe visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat brought to you by the national highway traffic safety administration and the ad council at social security we are always thinking of ways to save you time and make things easier that's why we created my social security a my social security account allows you to access your earnings history and benefits information request a replacement social security card get a proof of income letter estimate and apply for benefits and more save time go online open a my social security account at ssa.gov slash my account social security securing today and tomorrow produced at u.s taxpayer expense 145 over 92 180 over 111 182 over 100 and i had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke your blood pressure numbers could change your life a lot of people don't understand including myself i didn't now i do Uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, 
genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, Judge, I want to clarify something that you said earlier in the program for those that may have just tuned in. And this was those people who have come to the United States and they have asked uh, for asylum. Uh, Are those the people that have been given a name and a number to call with a sponsor or is that just is that just a, a an illegal immigrant or a refugee that's that's coming? Who 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 is asked by no, our government? Who's the sponsor? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I interrupted. Yeah, no, that that is pretty much what I'm being told. Is that pretty much the ones that are seeking asylum? And just I just want to remind everybody: eight out of ten of the people that are seeking asylum will not will not get their wishes. And uh, my question is, is what's going to happen to them? Where are they? What are they going to do? Are they going to actually go to the courts? Tell me. I mean, see, I, I, they just asked this from Secretary Mallorca. They just asked these questions, and he couldn't give those answers. Right. The only thing he could give was that it's over in Del Rio. You know, it's so sad right. because I just met with him not too long ago there in the valley. And behind closed doors, it was five county judges and five mayors. And every time we would ask him a question, um, basically he would say it's top secret. It's top secret. And it's really sad because, you know, is he just a puppet or what are we doing here? Yeah. You know, I mean, look, there's got to be some real men and there's yes men. And you define yourself. You define him what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Because if he's if he's a real man, he's going to stand up for what's right. And he knows what's right. I mean, you got to know what's right. But mm-hmm. stop playing the narrative. Stop, stop playing this whole Democratic card. Stop playing the racist card. We have a situation in hand that we need to go ahead and start working on. And that's for everybody, because, again, we are red, white, and blue. We're Americans. But, again, you, you, but, but just to get back to, to the question that I asked, and that is the, the, the issue of sponsors. It was when someone is asked who their sponsor is, they could ask that either to someone seeking asylum or they could ask for someone that's just snuck into the country, right? So then the I, someone, that, that's someone is then supposed to call that person, to vouch for them and say, yes, okay, I know who this person is. It's an uncle or whatever it happens to be. I will vouch for this person. And you were making the point that in many cases, or in some cases that you are aware of or heard of, those sponsors, those are names that are frequently used by a variety of people who may or may not know each other. And when they call that person, they get into a they get into a network of of sex uh, trafficking, and they get into uh, a criminal activity because the sponsor is coordinating that activity in the United States, perhaps with the assistance of the smuggler in Mexico. Did I hear that story correctly? That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly right. Let me just clarify one point. So. I mentioned the word Kimberly or the name Kimberly as a sponsor. Well, I'll have Kimberly. You'll have John. 
uh, Andrew's going to have Scott or whoever it may yeah. be. So it'll have different names. Right. But the NGOs are saying they're all different names of sponsors. Got it. But they're all going to the same house. Got it. Okay. So that's where there is a conspiracy uh, in the United States amongst whether Americans or people residing in the United States. They are working with the, with the smugglers to give them safe passage from wherever they are in Texas or Arizona, give them safe passage to New York or Minneapolis or Chicago, and once they get there, they're going to be trapped into a life of criminal of criminal activity, be it prostitution, be it uh, you name it, they will be involved in it, including uh, you know drug uh, drug trafficking or part of working with street gangs in in those cities as well. And it starts with the sponsor. I think the I think the most disheart if I may if I may sure I think the most disheartening part of it all is here you are not too long ago we had a family trip and we went to Wyoming beautiful Wyoming for the first time and you know it's very disheartening to hear constantly at the airport you know please put your mask on you know federal law mandates you to please put your mask on for your safety and security you know because your health is our highest priority well I call BS on that. Because my wife kept saying, why are you so mad? And I said, it, it upsets me and it infuriates me because here we are legally here. Here we are just trying to travel. Here we are just trying to do our thing. But yet they're telling us, it's called false security, by the way. False security is what it's called. Here they're telling us to please, please, please go ahead and make yourself feel safe and secure and put yourself on the plane, get a mask on the plane. But yet our back door is wide open. Those illegals don't are not are not vaccinated. They're not tested. They don't have the capacity to test. And why don't they want to test? Because then they're what they're going to do. Biden's going to have to put them in a tent city and literally, and it's going to become a village. It's going to become a city, and it's what's going to happen. And so they don't want to 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 recognize. Well, Mayorka said they were. Mayorka said they were tested. Mayorka said today that they that 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 they're tested. He didn't say they're all tested, but he said many were tested. Oh, he didn't say. Oh, he didn't say no. they were given shots. The only ones that are testing them are the NGOs. That is completely yeah. false. Yeah. The only ones that are testing them are NGOs. Are doing a going above and beyond. They didn't even. They didn't even vaccinate their own uh, border patrol. We vaccinated. We were the highest in the country. Webb County were was at seventy two percent that vaccinated the border patrol. They didn't even vaccinate them, and I told them that I was disgusted with them because he can't say that. No way. Sounds like you should head DHS. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, it'd be a lot more streamlined. Well, that, that's true. And a lot, true. And a lot true. more transparent. And a lot more transparent. Well, that, that is true. Listen, uh, Judge, I thank you very much. Uh, this uh, Judge uh, uh, Teo T. Hearing, Harina, Harina, T. Arena, T. Arena, T. Arena, Tao T. Arena. Forgive me again for being so slow, but. Uh, you know, when I see a J in the middle of the name, I get all confused. You're good. You're good. But listen, Judge, thank you very much. You're Again, I, I saw hey, you. I'll tell you right now, my elementary school teacher called me Tano Tangerine. It's okay. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> as long as the voters on Election Day remember that name, and I'm sure they will since you're uh, uh, seeking uh, re-election down there in Texas. And again, we thank you very much for offering your uh, candidate assessments this evening. And also our thanks uh, uh, to Andrew Polk uh, at KTSM. Andrew, thanks very much. We uh you know, we, we tried to get you in as, as often as possible, but the judge was very talkative and he was making news as he was speaking. So we'll be back to you because there's one thing that we both can say and acknowledge. 
This story will not go away. It will not be gone by next Sunday night. It'll be here probably for another 10 or 15 years. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks to Frankie Rodriguez for his assistance in the production of this program. Until next Sunday night from beautiful Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Good night from Chicago. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Pre-Diabetes Awareness Partners.